it seems like it's forever since we've been in this Heidelberg Catechism series, but it's only been, what, six weeks since we've taken our Advent break? And just so it's uh, a little bit more fresh in everybody's mind, I'll just give you a a little recap of what we've been studying. We are at uh, Lord's Day 31. It's the last section of part two. And uh, part one is entitled Man's Misery, although uh, hopefully you found that it's, it's not so uh, miserable, actually. In, 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 the, in Man's Misery, we found that our comfort and hope is in Jesus, and we got a, uh, a good look at the gospel message. That was a short section. Section two is Man's Deliverance. And the first part of uh, section two, we looked at, at a different slant at, at, at the gospel. Then we moved on to the Apostles' Creed, And after the Apostles' Creed, we looked at sacraments, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. And here is the last part of section two before we go to um, gratitude. We're looking at a very unique focus, the the keys of the kingdom. And so I want to look at this really question by question. And then after we finish the catechism um, reading, we'll move to our, our, our Bible reading. And usually the way I work it is that I uh, ask the question and then we respond together in unison the answer. But I, would, I, I just want you to turn to page 42, look at Lord's Day 31, questions 83 through 85, and then um, just consider it um, as, as I read the uh, question and answers. Question 83. <clears throat> I'll pause between each question to give a little bit of commentary. What are the keys of the kingdom? The answer, the preaching of the Holy Gospel and Christian discipline towards repentance. Both preaching and discipline open the kingdom of heaven to believers and close it to unbelievers. Now, you might be wondering, if you're new to the catechism, where did this idea of the keys of the kingdom come from? Well, it it comes from Matthew 16, and we'll eventually get there. But... Um, they are the work of the church. The keys of the kingdom are the, the actions, the, the, the stewardship that Christ bestows on Peter and then all the disciples later on in Matthew 18, 18, and then up upon all of us as church. And they, they, if they, the Heidelberg Catechism helps us to understand them in the form of two keys. We've got one key, um, the preaching of the Holy Gospel, and uh, the preaching and proclaiming. And I think we could also um, present this as a presentation of the Gospel. The, the Catechism is not limited, limiting it to the fact that an unbeliever has to come into these doors, sit in this pew, and hear a sermon about the Gospel from a, a preacher. So the, the preaching of the Holy Gospel also entails the our everyday presentation of the gospel. So how we, how we live it out um, with our actions and then with our words. So it's not just a, uh, uh, a, a limited key. These are keys that, that Christ has given his church. And you and I need to steward these keys. So we have the preaching of the holy gospel, the presentation of the gospel, and we have discipline. That's the second key. Let's look a little bit closer at these keys. How does preaching the gospel open and close the kingdom of heaven? According to the command of Christ, 
The kingdom of heaven is opened by proclaiming and publicly declaring to each and every believer that as often as he accepts the gospel promise in true faith, God, because of what Christ has done, truly forgives all his sins. The kingdom of heaven is closed, however, by proclaiming and publicly declaring to unbelievers and hypocrites that as long as they do not repent, the anger of God and eternal condemnation rest on them. God's judgment, both in this life and in the life to come, is based on this gospel testimony. So, in question 84, the catechism has let us know that preaching, proclaiming the gospel, presenting the gospel is a key that turns two ways. It can turn to the left, or let me, uh, let me do it this way so I don't mess up my preaching left and right and your left and right. Um, it can turn to the left. There we go. We got that right. And it opens up the kingdom of heaven and Christ's work in your life. And it can turn to the, to the right and um, leave you on your own apart from God, apart from Christ, apart from his ways. Now, how do the keys turn? Well, it's not up to us to decide. It it doesn't depend on our desires, our wishes. It, It depends on God's work in a human heart and that human's response to God. And so, the Peace to the kingdom, the preaching and the proclaiming and the presentation of the gospel means that everybody has to decide how they're going to stand with Christ. Who is Christ? Are they going to turn the key to the right and take a step of faith? He's he's Lord. He's my Savior. Or are they going to turn it to, I knew I was going to mess the left and the right up. Well, you know what I mean. To this side and uh, reject Christ. Question 85. How is the kingdom of heaven closed and opened by Christian discipline? The answer is according to the command of Christ. If anyone, though called as a Christian, professes unchristian teaching or lives an unchristian life, if after repeated brotherly counsel he refuses to abandon his errors and wickedness, and if after being reported to the church that that is to its officers, he fails to respond also to their admonition, such a a one the officers exclude from the Christian fellowship by withholding the sacraments from him, and God himself excludes him from the kingdom of Christ. Such a person, when he promises and demonstrates genuine reform, is received again as a member of Christ and of his church. Basically, question 85 is reiterating what Jesus says in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20. In Matthew 18, 15 through 20, Jesus basically says this. When there's conflict in the church, if a brother has wronged you, this is how I want you to handle it. I want you to go to that brother and say, hey, look, you wronged me, and, and, and seek reconciliation. And if that brother reconciles with you, then you've won your brother back. But if he hasn't, then go back. Pick out a couple people, strategic people that could help resolve this conflict. Go to that brother. Seek reconciliation with those two. 
And if he does, you've won your brother back. And if he doesn't, well, there's two more steps. And Jesus says, if he doesn't after bringing a couple witnesses, take it to the leadership of the church. Take it to the church. And let the leadership come with you, approach this brother and say, hey, look, there's something out of line here. And the fellowship of the Christian body here is suffering. It's like a cancerous growth that's affecting the whole body of Christ. You have to deal with it. And if that brother decides to reconcile, well, you've won the brother back. But if he doesn't, well, the last step, Jesus says, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, when I was growing up, <clears throat> I thought, that's awfully harsh. To treat someone as a, you know, a pagan, that, a tax collector. I know tax collectors were, were bad uh, back in Jesus' day. I thought, that sounds a little harsh. Just kick them out, treat them as a pagan or a tax collector. But then as I got older and started to understand Jesus and the Bible a little bit more, Starting observing, I started observing how Jesus interacted with pagans and tax collectors. I realized that Jesus is just calling us to consider that person lost, no longer part of the body of Christ, and therefore needs the love and service of Christ so that we can outreach to them and have them come back to the church through repentance. That's what... Uh, Question 85 concludes with, such a person, when he promises and demonstrates genuine reform, is received again as a member of Christ and of his church. Well, our passage this evening, Matthew 16, verses 13, and we'll, we'll conclude at verse 25, helps us to understand these two keys in, in, a, in a very particular light. I like this passage not only because it helps us explain where the keys of the kingdom are, phrase comes from, but it also shows us both keys in action in the life of one person, in the life of Peter. So turn with me to Matthew 16, and we're going to look at verses 13 through 25, and we're going to look at Adam in, in two halves. We'll look at the first half, talk about the first key, the second half, and the second key. Starting with verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but my, by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Don't read ahead. Stop right there for a second. Here we see that first key to the kingdom at work. Jesus asks his disciples, you've walked around the people, you've heard the buzz in the, in the town, who do people say I am? In other words, how are people responding to my presentation of the gospel, the good news? 
And the disciples reply, well, <clears throat> the verdict's not out. Some people think you're a reincarnation of Elijah or John the Baptist or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Well, how about you guys? How do you respond to me, to the testimony of the gospel within me? And Simon Peter jumps out and very boldly says, you are the one. You are the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And Peter turns that key to the right, unlocking for him the kingdom of heaven, Christ and his ways. Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man. You didn't pick this up on the street, but it was revealed by my Father in heaven. God worked in your heart for you to come to that conclusion. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, Hades, will not overcome it. The first key, the presentation of the gospel, Peter responds positively, confessing Jesus as God, God's son, the Messiah, the Christ. And I'd like to use this catechism as a, a, a springboard into good action into 2011. And there's many ways you can approach the keys of the kingdom. And this is a very full, complex section of the catechism and Bible reading. We could spend a couple series on each of the keys. But I want to just use them today as an opportunity to look ahead and see how we can better fulfill our duty as members of Christ's body. And so I want to ask you, do you know where your keys are? We're always forgetting our keys. We're always misplacing our keys. But how about the keys to the kingdom of heaven? If presenting the gospel, if preaching and proclaiming and presenting the gospel is one of the keys that we are called to steward as the church, do you know where it is? Do you know how you're going to steward it? There's a Lake Wobegon joke about two pastors who pastor right across the street from each other. And one day they're out hammering a sign down into the uh, side of the road. And the sign reads this, The end is near. Turn yourself around before it's too late. Just as they were finishing um, anchoring the sign down, a car speeds by. And the driver yells out, Leave me alone, you religious nuts. And it disappears around the curve. Tires squeal, and they hear a big splash. One pastor looked at the other and said, Do you think the sign should just say bridge out? It's a funny joke, but it brings the tension that we have of bearers of that first key. Ambassadors of Christ. Our catechism here says in, in question 84, the kingdom of heaven is closed when, however, by pro- proclaiming and publicly declaring to unbelievers and hypocrites 
that as long as they don't repent, the anger of God and eternal condemnation rests upon them. I want to say that there are going to be times in our sharing the gospel with others when people will need to hear that. But let me caution you. Be really sure that you're following the Holy Spirit's Holy Spirit's leading when you take that angle. Because like that joke, we can miss Stuart that key and drive people away from the gospel because our society is so charged with the hypocrisy of the church, the self-righteousness of the church. When thinking about the tension between preaching the gospel in very gracious terms, focusing on God's love and mercy and justice, uh, and, and, and very serious eternal consequence, hell in the balance kind of terms, I think of a couple biblical thoughts. First, I think that Jesus only ever used the anger and wrath of God when he was talking to religious leaders. Something to think about. He only used the anger and wrath of God when he was talking to people who thought they were in good standing with God, already had a connection with God. Um, But when he was talking to the average everyday sinner, he said this. He said, repent because the kingdom of God is here. Repent. Change your ways. Change your mind. Change your way of doing things because God is here. He's accessible here and now. That was the good news. The other thing and is that in uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul gives a great strategy. And we looked at this a couple months ago in the Sunday sermon. In verse 6, Paul says, Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Stewarding this first key, the preaching, the proclaiming, the presentation of the gospel, I think is often like a dance with people. Sometimes you have to take a step forward. Maybe it'll call for two steps forward. Sometimes you'll have to stand still. Sometimes you'll even have to take a couple steps back. And it's, a, it's, it's inviting the Holy Spirit to use you in stewarding that key. Let's look at the second key and how it's used in Peter's life. Starting with verse 21, we'll look at 21 through 25. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. Do not, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. 
whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever wants to lose his life for me will find it. Peter got an A-plus on that first key in how he, how he personally received those keys. But that second key started to turn this way first before it would turn to the other way. It starts off with, the second part starts off with Jesus giving them how it's going to go down. It's going to go down like this, guys. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. But on the third day, I'll be, I'll, be, I'll, I'll rise again. Now, Peter, out of his love for his Savior and his desire to be in control of everything, finds himself in a place where his expectations are disjointed from God's expectations. He's misaligned. Jesus is telling him, this is how it's going to happen. And Peter's saying, never. This shall never happen to you. His heart, his emotions, his personality got in his way, and he was out of line with God. This is the second key. Our catechism mentions question 85 is discipline. And Jesus disciplines him right in front of everyone. He says, get behind me, Satan. He was just calling Peter blessed. You were going to be the steward of the early church. And now, Jesus is saying, you're stumbling block. You don't have, you're misaligned. You don't have in mind the things of God. This passage always scares me because it makes me think how easy it is to go wrong and how easy our expectations, our agendas, our desire to control things can mess, miss what God's doing and mess up a good thing that God has planned. We know from 2020 hindsight that Peter stewards this key well eventually and receives this correction well, realigns himself with Jesus, with God, and goes on to be a leader in the early Christian church. I want to ask us, how are we stewarding that key in our own life? I know the catechism in question 85 talks about applying it to other people. But I think if all of us here at Faith Church would you steward the key personally, we would have very little worry about exercising church discipline from a, a church elder standpoint. If we would all discipline ourselves, if we all steward the key, that key of the kingdom, if we would remember where we lost it and utilize it in our life, the church would be much more dynamic, much more unified, much more mission-driven. So I want to ask us all, what are we going to do in 2011 to steward 
both keys. We talked about evangelism already and presenting the gospel. The gospel. How about discipline? I want to challenge both. I want to challenge all of us, myself included. I'm already a day behind, actually. It's January second, and I missed January first. I had I had some other things in my mind, but I want to call us all to get into the Word in 2011. I want to I want to call us all to regular times in the Word, where we're reading and absorbing and applying God's truth to our lives. If we're misaligned, one major way to get a realignment. It's by using the mirror of God's word in our lives. Will you commit to regularly getting... I'm not talking about legalism where if you don't check it off, you're going to feel bad. If you miss a day, you miss a day. I'm talking about regularly getting in the habit of reading, absorbing, and applying God's word so that you can be aligned with what God wants for you. Another... Another way of alignment that I would love for us to pursue together is in the avenue of community. Is there one or two or three people in your, in your life that has the permission and the ability to speak truth to you? Is there someone who can talk to you about your anger problem? Is there someone who can talk to you about your materialism? I was in Borders Bookstore the other day. I had a, uh, a little gift card that I had to use up. And I was looking through the calendars. They were half off. And uh, I'm laughing because I got Jim a calendar. But um, while I was looking, I saw this, this man who was about my size. And for a second, I thought, oh, is that Mac Wiener? Because, you know, everybody's confusing us. And he kind of looked like me. And, and it wasn't him. So don't get this confused. This wasn't Mac Wiener. This, is go, this illustration is going in a negative direction here. And, and then I noticed that he keeps pulling down, like, the swimsuit calendars and flipping them around, looking at them. And then there was like a, a 50s pinup calendar that he's flipping around and looking at. And I thought to myself, I don't know if he's a Christian or not. He looked like a clean cut, could be a high school professor, college professor. Does he have anyone in his life that could speak to him honestly and pry him from that dead-end trap of lust? How about us? How about you and I? Christ bestowed to Peter, and then in Matthew 18, 18, to the disciples, and then in John 20, really, to all of us, the keys of the kingdom. How are we going to steward them in 2011? Would you commit... Do three things. The first key is thinking about and praying about 
effectively presenting the gospel to people in your spheres of influence. And two other things concerning discipline. Would you dive in with me in 2011 to God's word? Stick the Bible by the coffee maker, and when you're brewing it, read it for five minutes. And then on the way to work, think about it, pray through it. Got a half-hour lunch break? Eat your sandwich while you get in the Word. There's so many ways to weave it into a, 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 your, 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 already, your, your everyday habits. And then thirdly, if you don't have anyone in your life who can speak honestly and truthfully to you, would you think about developing a relationship like that?